I'm Nicholas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you all to Capital Link's uh, webinar series. Today's uh, discussion will focus on the LPG sector. We are uh, gratified to have with us uh, three major uh, industry participants, and uh, I'd like to thank Jorgen Lian, the head of shipping equity research at DNB Markets, who's going to be the moderator. I will turn it over to Lian to introduce our panelists. Uh, I would like to mention that um, our participants can submit questions through the feature on the uh, webinar page, and uh, your questions uh, can be addressed by the panelists uh, as we go or at the end of the discussion. So I'd like to thank you very much all for joining. I think what is happening in the LPG sector is quite um, exciting and interesting. And uh, uh, Jorgen, the floor is yours to introduce the uh, panelists. Thank you. Thank you so much, Niklas, um, and uh, thanks for, for having me and, and us here, and I'm very pleased to, to have a, a strong panel, I feel, uh, to discuss the very, very interesting LPG shipping sector, um, and maybe um, we'll, we'll get uh, out of this with uh, a lot more knowledge as to where we are and what's going on and how things are shaping up going forward, which I assume all the listeners are looking forward to. So um, with that, um, if I start to my right, uh, we're, we're joined today with the CEO in Navigator Holdings, which uh, Mats Petesaku. So welcome. Um, and um, then we have Ted Young, uh, the CFO of Dorian LPG joining us as well. Hello, Ted. And uh, last but not least, we have uh, Anders Unerheim, the CEO in BWLPG, uh, joining us also to make the trio that we're going to discuss with today. Um, so I'll, I think I'll just um, kick things off and start with a very general question. Uh, we're, we're in a market where the rates seemingly have only headed upward. Uh, so the market is uh, apparently tight and things are looking very good. Uh, the rates now for VLGC well above, well above $100,000 per day. Um, and we're in what we can call high season. But uh, what, uh, what is the main contributor and what has really been driving the markets to, to the levels that we, we see today? Um, and um, if we can start with, uh, I'll open the floor for everyone, but we can start with, with you, Mats, if you'd like. Yeah, no, for, for Navigator, maybe I should just clarify here that Navigator, we are a handy-sized owner-operator, and that means that we have the slightly smaller ships than, than the VLGCs. It also means that they are more uh, flexible, so, so we are transporting both LPG, we are transporting head cams and also ammonia, and I guess we can come back to some of these. Uh, but of course, the, the big driver right now is, is, is very high demand for, for energy and, and strong prices there. Uh, and particularly Europe is, is a strong uh, importer of energy and, and that clearly drives uh, the, the shipping rates as, as it is. I should have maybe also mentioned that the very high rates that you're mentioning for VLGCs, that's not quite the case for, for handy sizes. We are starting to see more transport across the Atlantic on handy sizes also, but, uh, but, but not at the rates that uh, the VLGCs uh, are, are getting these days. It's been a time period for, for the smaller vessels uh, having an upper hand actually on the larger vessels. So it, uh, it could definitely get interesting for you uh, as well. Going it's forward, definitely I guess. moving the right direction. Um, and then if we, if we jump to, to Anders, um, when, uh, when will rates peak this season? Uh, it tends to be a very sticky seasonal pattern. Um, so, so when will they peak and why? And, or why not drop off as they, as they used to, usually do? Well, we, we certainly don't expect them to stay this uh, this level till the summer. That's for sure. Uh, at the same time, I think you know we are we are experiencing really, as as Mott says, really good underlying demand, and uh, and also with uh, with uh, you know the seasonality and the inefficiencies we're seeing. And of course, we're also benefiting from all the activity in some of the other sectors. You know, so there's lots of waiting in the Panama Canal and uh, and you know also uh, discharging ports. So so I think you know that. It's looking more. It's looking actually more sticky than uh, perhaps uh, is normal. And so I think we, again, we we expect you know this is now it will come in and we will see lower rates. But uh, but at the moment it's uh, you know here just a couple of days ago we thought we all thought you know maybe we see in the top and and uh, and it should start slowing down. But uh, again, all of a sudden there were you know there were plenty of cargos out there and so so. Uh, we will. We, I, th I think we're going to see. Certainly, we've said you know through you know till the end of this year we expect the high rates and uh, and but we'll we'll uh, we'll face reality when when uh, first quarter comes. So so uh, 
Uh, not going to say exactly when we think rates are coming down, but it's uh, they're looking good for a while still. Yeah, and uh, so so if we if we just look at the seasonality, it tends to the, the trading window and the arbitrage tends to narrow a bit just due to some timing differences between U.S. pricing and, and Asian pricing. Once you get into February, which usually takes off a, a bit of the demand, but I guess this this year around the things might be a bit different because we're in a completely I'd say uncharted territory in terms of energy demand and and such. And so if we if we then flip uh, flip over to you. Ted, um, that demand that we're seeing right now, um, or, or where, where, how, how is that uh, in general? I'm talking about energy markets in general. How is that driving the demand for for LPG in in your view? I mean, look, I think um, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing is obviously with elimination or the significant reduction in Russian cargoes and Russian oil. Uh, we've seen, you know, most notably um, the Middle East step into the fray. So Middle East liftings here to date are up, I don't know, 19% or uh, something quite significant. Uh, and, and, and they haven't been that way for a while. And that's really a function of the Middle East sort of stepping into the fray, not because they couldn't produce in the past, but now they have to. So, you know, as, as most of the, uh, certainly my peers know, and as many of the investors on the call probably know, um, you know, no one has ever produced a metric ton of LPG on purpose. It's a byproduct of natural gas and oil production. And so moving some of this oil production away from Russia, which for in, in our little world of, of LPG um, is helpful because, you know, Russia exported, I don't know, 6 million metric tons of LPG, about half on pipelines into the, the stands and, you know, about another 3 million metric tons on, on rail cars. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, in a bit out of Usluga, which I think Navigator actually does, does quite a bit of. I, I short, give that short shrift. I apologize, but um, but now with them producing less, um, you know, the, the production has shifted to other areas that do produce LPG. And historically, what we've seen is, uh, particularly in the pet chem sector, in spite of the weakness, you know, overall maybe in that sector, um, they tend to be the market takers. They're the price takers, and so. Um, when the economics make sense, they'll, they'll they'll jump in, and so historically we've always seen if you produce it, someone will buy it, and so I think there's been a bit of that going on as well um, in the LPG uh, seaborne market. Yeah, thanks, Ted. And uh, we we discussed this a bit before jumping onto the broadcast, but um, I think the uh, part of what's what's looking really interesting is this uh, potential for switching effect, right? Because you have now a situation where a lot of energy and, and gas, especially natural gas, has headed into Europe instead of Asia, maybe. And typically, the end user market for LPG has been uh, Asia, and and I guess on a relative basis that continues to to stand very strong. How uh, so? So to to you, Mats, um uh, also, with regards to, to what's going on in Europe, given the very elevated energy prices, what do you see of this switching effect in terms of demand? Is that uh, something that's very supportive for, for LPG uh, demand going forward? Yeah, I think pretty much uh, in, any kind of energy is, is welcome in, in Europe. So that means both uh, likes of ethane or, or LPG will, will be used as energy sources. And that's a good thing about LPG. Uh, it's uh, anything, by the way, that, that they are quite flexible uh, commodities. They could be used for both energy and also for uh, building blocks for, for the chemical industry. Uh, so, so with that additional miles uh, being being added to uh, on, on top of already the demand from, from Asia, the added new demand from, from Europe is, of course, uh, uh, what has taken away that uh, additional capacity from uh, our markets that, 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 that we, saw, we saw before. And it means that it's, it's really tight right now. So, uh, so it really shows uh, what big differences uh, change in utilization can, can do to, uh, to shipping rates. So, uh, so, so yeah, it does, it does make a big difference. And, and that switching is, 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 is clearly the, uh, the, the additional uh, drop of oil here for, for us. Mm. And also, when, it, go, yeah, ahead, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to add, and I think you know, we as we discussed also, I mean, it's it's hard to put a you know number on what the, what sort of additional demand really is, but there's no question we we see we see uh, evidence from it still. You know, you know, we see both all of a sudden some of the some of the new usual cargoes from some like the Equinors and others. All of a sudden, we don't see those anymore in the market the same way. So we we. There is no question. There is some substitution uh, and and spiking here, and uh, and I think you know as Mott says too. I, I think underlying 
I mean, we, we need to we need to remind all every all listeners that LPG is a really good product. It's really it's versatile. It's clean. I mean, so and and again, even though Ted says yes, it's kind of a byproduct, but it's become really something that uh, you know is is uh, applicable in many places. And I think you know many are now looking to see how can how can this play even a bigger role in Europe. Yeah, I agree, agreed, um, Anders. Because you're right. It certainly has become much more of a mainstream fuel. And, uh, you know, and the, and the beauty of it is, you know, we sometimes get the question about switching and look, the, the, you know, the, the thermodynamics and the mechanic, mechanical engineering doesn't work. They're not interchangeable, which is good and bad, but um, uh, obviously, but what we've seen is the, the soaring LNG prices have created all sorts of opportunity. One, as we've all talked about, you can spike your LNG with LPG to increase the calorific value. The Japanese and the South Koreans have been doing that for a long time. Um, you know, I think um, we said we had some we had some idea that uh, Japan could cut its LNG demand by one and a half percent. This was in our in a quarterly piece we put out. Um, you know, just by swapping in more LPG. Again, it's it's a tough number. Anders rightly says to get your uh, arms around, but it it can be kind of meaningful because again, our sector is. You know, relatively, um, I mean, we're probably in terms of metric tons transported, I think we're less than a third the size of the LNG market last I checked. It was like, you know, we're about 115 million metric tons a year and they're 375 million metric tons a year. So, um, you know, it doesn't take as much to move the needle for us in terms of volumes um, and, and, and to see tightness in freight. But an honors is a, is, a, is a thousand percent right. It's a it's a great product. Um, you know, we've all, we've all as an industry talked about Ivonic in Germany, all of a sudden realizing, hey, it doesn't have to produce steam for steam cracking using extensive LNG, it can use LPG. So there's, you know, as with any, you know, crisis, obviously the humanitarian one's by far the worst, but if anything good comes out of it, it's, it's this transition and increase in, a, in, a, in another green fuels uh, usage and potential. And I am... Um... Uh, yeah, we, 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 we did that math uh, or tried at least because as you mentioned, you know, one third in terms of uh, in terms of the market. But if you then adjust that for the calorific value, yeah, then yeah, you're much yeah. less. Right. So so the, the point is when uh, there, there are two things which are great with LPG, I guess one is that it's extremely easy to handle compared to natural gas. So it's easy to place in a canister and just truck it wherever you want. So you don't need the infrastructure. So places where you don't have infrastructure, which typically is further away from the main source of gas, which would be. US, right, uh, makes a very good ton mile story. And as you mentioned, perhaps some months. Um, and um, secondly, the, the, the thing is that um, it's very um, high on cal calorific value. So you might say, you know, it's it maybe a percent or so away from, from natural gas imports, but we uh, I think we we arrived at uh, among China, Japan, Korea, um, and India as the main importers. If you switch, just assume that they'll they'll you know use the spec in the gas grid to move from the lower to the higher end of the calorific value. That alone could boost demand for LPG of five percent, right? So it's I think it's a substantial number. It takes some time before it runs through to the actual economics and gets done, but um, there's definitely a lot of potential here. So. Uh, but but that being said, because uh, I, I mentioned a bit the uh, the thing that's easy with LPG is to, to to truck it around and you don't need all these infrastructure investments. Given the current energy market and the price of LNG imports, Anish, uh, you have this India joint venture. So so therefore I'm directing this question to you. Um, I heard some talks. You know the subsidies on the um, on using LPG as a fuel in India took. Uh, you know, we're, we're dialed back a bit for a while. Uh, how does India look at the LPG as a solution for energy now compared to before, considering everything that's going on? I would believe that's sort of a driver for massive import need at some point. Absolutely. No, I think you're right. The, you know, the subsidies have, have sort of been baited a little bit, but uh, but there's still there's still, uh, and of course, this is this has been dramatically important for India. I mean, it's really it's it's uh, we're talking. Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of million people now all of a sudden have have access to energy which they didn't have before. So, and and we we just had a we just had a a stand down there now last week in, in conjunction with the WLPD uh, activities there. And 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 there's you know from high high government officials, everybody cares. They all they all come. They all want to engage in discussions, and they all want to see how can we 
how can we even uh, encourage you to invest more to 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 uh, you know enter this market? So so India is as it's it's been a, a very important market for us, and and we're very happy with the position we have now with uh, with uh, you know Indian vessel flags and and really having a good dialogue with the you know with the majors there. So so India it's you know with or without subsidies, it's going to be a great market going forward. Hmm. Thank you, Ashan. Of course, subsidies are good when things are expensive, but if you look at the uh, the uh, price of energy now, comparing coal to LPG, you're pretty close, right? So you can make an argument that subsidies maybe uh, aren't even needed to just push that demand even further. No. Um, so if we turn to you again, Mats, uh, on the um, so if we if we look a bit to Europe and and on the petchem uh, demand side and and ammonia uh, and such, uh, how how is uh, how is that demand, which I guess is a bit more high value and probably it, at least in my head more linked maybe to the general GDP situation and with the recession scenario and everything going on, how does how does the demand for the petchem and and such uh, look uh, at the moment? Yeah, because because for us that's the the two other important commodities for for transportation and ammonia has its its own story. Um, we we export or we transport a lot of uh, ammonia into Europe right now, simply because uh, Europe has uh, ceased uh, most of the production of ammonia uh, regionally, and also that all the imports from Ukraine and and Russia has also come to a halt. So that means it needs to be sourced from elsewhere in the world. It's from North America, the Middle East, uh, even South Asia, and as far away as Australia. And that has a, a tremendous uh, impact on the ton mile demand. So we used to have maybe three, uh, two, three vessels transporting ammonia, and today it's 10, 11 vessels. So it's a full 20% of our total uh, volume. So we see that as, as continuing. Uh, the, the war, unfortunately, does not seem to, to end soon. Uh, we hope it will, but even after it stops, we believe that, that Europe would be very reluctant to, to be dependent on imports from Russia for a long period of time. So we see there's a very uh, long-term story here where uh, ammonia will be imported from uh, competitively from maybe North America, but also uh, Middle East. Uh, and after that, we will start to see ammonia play a bigger role uh, as uh, a potential energy carrier. Uh, it can be a fuel for hard to evade sectors. So we will see that the green and, and blue ammonia in, in the mid to, to longer term also be an, an important commodity. So both short term, mid term and long term, we see the demand for ammonia transportation will remain robust. Uh, when it comes to pet camps, the, the main change has been here that over the summer, most of our uh, transportation went from North America into Europe, which is short term, short mile, uh, whereas now it's uh, China that has started importing uh, ethylene again. And, uh, and of course, this is a much longer distance. So that means a lot to the utilization of our ethylene carriers. So, so very robust demand here. And uh, we see China as being a continued important uh, uh, destination for, for, for ethylene out of North America. And what about the Chinese? Um, there's, there's a lot of talk in several shipping segments relating to the shutdowns and, and whatnot, and the lockdowns uh, relating to COVID. How has um, how, the, how does that impact the, um, the LPG or the, the petchem demand uh, in that region? Well, it, it seems like we have been able to, or the demand is, is pretty robust right now, so, so not so much of an impact. And we've been able to discharge uh, ethylene uh, on, on arrival without any disruptions. You could, of course, uh, argue that if, if we look into a, a global recession coming in next year, that will impact the overall world GDP and that also, of course, will impact ethylene demand. But of course, the, the seaborne liquid ethylene uh, carried on, on our types of ships is only a very small proportion of the overall. So it's really the arbitrage that is the important part here. How competitive is ethylene compared to uh, uh, to other uh, sources for, for, for building plastics? And, and here it remains very competitive. It's, it's produced very, very cheaply in North America. And we see that arbitrage being open now uh, and, and there's really a structural uh, competitive advantage for North American ethylene production. So uh, we'll see that arbitrage may be, be wider or, or less wide, but, but it is going to remain for a long period of time. And, yeah. again, I think we, we expect um, next year, we expect uh, there's going to be, you know, maybe another four, four or five million tons additional ton needed, you know, just to supply the new PDH plants. And, you know, we've seen already that, uh, 
you know, we're back to pre-COVID levels, uh, despite, you know, the, the sort of lockdowns and, and, and back and forth. So, so you know, I think, uh, what's that? And then I, I think we estimate about, you know, 15, 16% growth in, 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 uh, in uh, imports to China next year. Hmm. Thanks so much. so it's uh, and this is this is uh, yeah, despite again despite uh, you know some of the challenges that we're seeing of course as as much as I mean uh, a severe global recession you know that will that will probably skew those numbers a little bit but not that much and I'd say uh, yeah go ahead the I was just going to say the one the, you know in principle over time I agree with Andres uh, for sure and we're we're slightly. Um, we're certainly concerned about the low operating rates and the low margins and whether the PDH tonnage that's supposed to new PDH plants and or recovery happens next year, just because they've got a bunch more coming online and the economics right now aren't great, but I couldn't agree more with, with Anders that over, forget about the short term, over the medium term, it's that's gonna happen. I guess it's a situation where you're pretty much saved by the general uh, energy demand, right? Which uh, which can compensate a lot for some, perhaps more wavering pet gem uh, demand at times. But uh, as soon as things get, as we hope, some point back to normal, then uh, both firing on on all cylinders, it seems as though demand is definitely well well placed. Um, that's at least um, our view uh, on the sector, and it sounds like uh, you all pretty much agree. Yeah, I mean. Yes. I think, you know, from a from an LPG perspective, right? I mean, you know, roughly 50%, 55%, depending on whose numbers you look at, our residential and commercial demand, that is really stable, sticky demand. It doesn't really change. Okay, if there's a big LNG project that they're doing the last mile stuff, yeah, we'll see modest declines, but that takes a long time. Um, you know, and then and then we because of the uh, what we've seen in, in, in energy flows, um, you know, we feel like LPG is going to be a much more important part of the, you know, the switchable pet chem mix. Um, and then, you know, PDH is, has no bit away from naphtha. So fundamentally, I think, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of what we're seeing for LPG demand are pretty, pretty compelling. They're not, there's obviously a cyclical nature to all these businesses, but there's a lot of secular uh, tailwinds that are supporting uh, LPG as a product. Yeah, and I, I am getting some questions. And by the way, to those people listening in, feel free to to add your questions in the in the chat, and we'll bring them up. Uh, I have a question on ammonia, um, so, so I, which I think could be good to to answer. Uh, you know, today's ships that transport uh, LPG, do they need any modifications to move ammonia? Uh, and uh, just to 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 answer the question from, from the audience, uh, there are some issues with corrosion and toxicity, et cetera, of ammonia. But I think it's uh, fair to point out that ammonia has been traded in ships for a long, long time. It's not a new trade. And that's something that people are very familiar with. Uh, maybe not in the sense as a shipping fuel, which is something that's more new. Uh, but in terms of ammonia being traded around, I would assume there's not too much issues with all that toxicity and such uh, hindering flows. No, I'm, ammonia is a, a difficult to handle uh, commodity, but, but so is all the gases pretty much that we are transporting. They, they are flammable and, and they they can they need very, very high safety standards to, to, to manage. But but again, that's what uh, uh, that's what Dory and what would be PW and, and we have been doing for, for many, many years now. So we have highly educated uh, people on board our ships to handle these uh, difficult commodities. Ammonia is, is, is toxic, you can smell it, uh, but, but if you have a leak, it's, it, it can be very dangerous. So, so that's why there needs to be yeah, very robust safety procedures in place. Yeah. It's a little bit different once you start seeing, bringing it into the engine room, when you start using uh, ammonia as, as a fuel, it changes because ammonia will not uh, rise up into the air, it will fall to the to the floor, and that means that the whole setup around ventilation and so on, and, and how you you uh, design your engine rooms uh, needs to be, to be different. So it's not so easy to just retrofit one vessel from running on either LPG or LNG or something else into to to running it on, on ammonia. That mm, being that... said, ammonia is a super efficient energy carrier, so it's a great way to transport hydrogen uh, because hydrogen is very uh, it takes up a lot of space, even when it's liquid, uh, and it needs to be kept at extreme low temperatures, uh, whereas ammonia is much, much easier to, to handle. It's liquid at minus 33 degrees Celsius. So that was uh, the second part of that question. Well answered, uh, Mats. Um, 
and then uh, since since we're talking to you, we, we got the pass, uh, uh, another question because um, we're very familiar with how the VLGC market works, uh, or more familiar, I'd say, than probably the the smaller uh, sectors. Uh, but um, do you get the same type of ARB pricing and uh, and such in in your trades uh, on the Petchem and the Molnia side? Is that the same driver as you do in the VLGC space for LPG? I mean, the, the arbitrages are, are, are very important, particularly for, for, uh, for pet camps and, and ethylene is, is, is a big commodity here. And, and US being a structurally very efficient, low cost producer of most of the uh, energy types we're talking about here and uh, ethane and ethylene included, uh, this is a very important driver of uh, the transportation demand. And here transporting it from North America to to China and to, to Asia adds a lot of uh, miles, and, and that is great for, for our utilization. So, um, so yeah, right. it is arbitrage driven to, to a great extent. Perfect. So um, we've nailed down that demand looks very, very good. Uh, now let's uh, let's uh, look a bit on the, on the supply of uh, volumes to the market. Um, first, I think the, the two main regions that we at least spend our time focusing on when it comes to exports, it's the Middle East and it's the US. And the US has really been the sort of swing uh, additional uh, volumes uh, in the recent years and is probably bound to, to be so going forward as well. So let's, let's drill down a bit into that. Um, if we start with you, you Ted, the, the oil and gas production in the US has been a bit more subdued maybe than people would have thought given the, the energy prices and everything. Um, give us a short answer as to what's going on. Um, well, the short answer is um, the, I'd say two factors, you know, sort of uh, muted the production levels, uh, but overall uh, we haven't suffered as much. I'll get into that in a second. So what, what's going on? One is um, our oil and gas producers have been forced by most of the investment community to be far more disciplined about drilling. Uh, they want them to be focused on returning capital to shareholders. So that has been a large, uh, you know, they've been, they've been a lot more uh, thoughtful about deploying rigs. Um, you know, the other thing is um, the administration in Washington has sent at best conflicting uh, messages. Um, probably, probably more likely, more threatening messages, and so you know, rational business people are not going to drill an environment where windfall taxes are threatened and all sorts of other things, and sort of generally demonizing um, hydrocarbons. Um, so, but the one bright spot has been we've seen a lot more activity in the Permian, and the Permian, fortunately for 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 Anders and and, and me, is uh, quite as a lot of wet gas, and there's a lot of associated ga uh, gas in the oil streams, and so. What we're seeing is, is is effectively more NGLs being produced in spite of the overall muted production levels because of where they're doing the drilling. All right. Yeah. Thank and you. I, I'd like to add to that. I, I'm, you know, in the, all my conversations also with the uh, with your companies. I mean, they they said, you know, we, we cannot make investment decisions, even though we're encouraged by the administration to, you know, now step it up in the short term. But you know, in the long term, again, we're going to shame you. You know, so so that doesn't work. So uh, so it, you know, I, I think I think uh, they're still waiting in Houston to to get a visit from from the president to and sit down and actually talk about this rather than just get get these uh, messages through. Uh, you know, emails and and and, and news news clippings. So I, it is it is really important. But I think, when I said that, I think as Ted says, I mean, still, uh, we're also seeing. Uh, I think even I think even even uh, investors are starting to see that uh, you know the ESG. I mean, the E is okay, but I mean the social responsibility here of producing energy and, and making sure that uh, not just Europe but many other places in the world also gets uh, uh, you know gets their uh, their needs filled. I think. Uh, uh, so, so I, 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 I sense a change uh, from the investment community on that. And I think also we're seeing private equity players going in now and then involving themselves in some of these, these companies. And I think that's going to also, uh, you know, help. So, so we expect, we expect good, good, good growth also, uh, you know, the, the coming years, but again, the political uncertainty is, uh, is really what's, uh, what the problem is. And uh, how about the, because there's been a lot of talk about production, that's one thing, but then you need to get that gas to to uh, to the vessels and through terminals and pipelines. Um, as things stand right now, are there any uh, bottlenecks uh, on the horizon that could limit either through pipeline capacity or terminal capacity in terms of the amount you can export? Go ahead, Danish. Uh, we 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 don't think there's uh, any any uh, limitations there. We 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 think there's plen plenty of capacity still. So so uh, 
uh, to us, that's that's not an issue. Of course, we you know, of course, we speak we speak to the you know the players that were there, and they they're always positives. I mean, we have you always have to you always have to you know be a little little uh, challenge that. But but overall, it looks like the capacity is uh, is uh, is um, uh, is just fine. So I think and we I, can export more than sixty million tons. You know, no no problem. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think I, I I absolutely agree with that. I mean, a couple other points I'd add is one. The midstream guys in the U.S. Um, have a very enviable economic position. They never, they, they, they really don't build capacity without more or less guaranteed uh, demand, and they've got, they've got an excellent track record. If you look at any of the graphs that any of us in the sector have on the growth of export capacity, and no reason to believe that's not going to happen. Um, you know, I think the expectation this year is they hit sort of 86% capacity utilization on the on the Gulf export terminals, and next year probably goes up into the 90s, but. You know, we know there'll be additional capacity coming, um, you know, as needed. There obviously are some projects either in FID or close to FID that, you know, again, we all, we, I, I, I don't, I don't see that being a bottleneck. I mean, we, we've just got very sophisticated midstream operators, you know, who are going to make sure that we don't run out of fractionation capacity or, or export capacity. Hmm. And what about uh, you, Mats? You you have a joint venture with uh, with yeah. Enterprise, so you you must be on the inside when it comes to the infrastructure side of this business. Yeah, I, I guess the evidence for for there being a bottleneck, I, I suppose, is that that we have announced that that we will expand our export facility, uh, the one million tons that we have in in Morgan's Point in in Houston. Uh, because we, we see customer demand for, for much more than what is currently being put, pushed out. And it is the, the largest and, and, and uh, yeah, the, almost the, the, the only export facility uh, from, uh, from, from that area uh, of, of ethylene. So, so we, we need more capacity here and, and we'll be building that and we look forward to, uh, to be better able to serve the customers in going into uh, 224 on, on, on this one. Hmm. Okay, um, thank you. And then uh, if we turn a bit towards the Middle East, which of course is also very important, I would say, uh, you know, an area impacted a bit by what's going on in OPEX production decisions. Uh, but uh, I think you mentioned it a bit earlier on, Ted, uh, the, the export growth there has just been massive. Um, can you take us through what's, what's actually been going on? Uh, is, is it that they're now exporting more than they, more of their domestic consumption, or is this just simply you know, more production shining through to, to export numbers? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, the, the, the production levels are obviously up. I, you know, I guess our sense is they're, they, the, the Saudis in particular used to be diverting a lot to uh, their, their petrochemicals plant, uh, their SABIC facility there. Uh, we understand anecdotally there's less of that going on, maybe a reflection of the, the, the macroeconomic environment. Um, but, um, you know, they, they, they've... Um, Look again. They're when they're producing oil and gas, as they have done. Um, there's going to be more associated LPG. And in spite of the OPEC cuts, I think um, you know. I forget who I was reading, but you know, I don't think it's been very. It's not, it's not going to have a major impact on on LPG. I mean, maybe down. I mean, it'll be down less than a million metric tons at that next year in terms of exports, and it should go back up again in 24. So um, yeah, we all watch it, um, and, and yeah, we're concerned about it, but. Um, you know, you know, as 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 Mods rightly said, uh, you know, Europe is not going to go rushing back into Russia's arms, and so, you know, that shift in production to other basins around the world, you know, we don't think is as we think that's fundamental change. We don't think that's temporary, um, and I don't think we're alone in that um, supposition. So. And what about what about the, the the OPEC cuts that are now being discussed? Is this then? Yeah, no, I'm saying net of, that, net, net of those, uh, Jurgen, net, net of those OPEC cuts that are being discussed. Okay. This doesn't seem like it's going to have such a, a, an impact. And okay, they'll probably patrol themselves. They're, you know, they're they're pretty good about cheating or you know controlling patrolling cheating. But um, you know, we'll see. And uh, you know, again, we just don't see it. Um, we don't see the current OPEC plus cuts that are being discussed having a meaningful impact on LPG production levels. All right, thanks. Um, and then if we if we shift a bit to another thing that ties up capacity other than just volumes increasing in distance, it's a lot of inefficiencies. And uh, one of the uh, one of the things we tend to see during, I think especially during winter, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we tend to have more of these inefficiencies uh, occurring and elevating the markets during what is known as the high season, right? And uh, 
what's uh, what's the situation on that today, Anish? And um, talk a bit if you if you can about the congestion issues in Panama and the decisions that you need to make. Uh, you know, either transiting or going around the Cape, and how that actually affects you know the the sailing distance for your vessels today. Oh, it has dramatic effect right now. And we, you know, at the moment we're seeing, you know, uh, uh, more than 20 days of, of uh, uh, waiting. And of course, that that's then you need to make some real decisions. And I, I just, uh, of course, as uh, as the listeners may know, I mean, in the past, we, we used to be able to pre-book slots, you know, for, for, for LPG. We can't do that anymore. So, so we are subject to, uh, you know, uh, uh, many other challenges, you know, and of course, right now it's LNG ships and container ships are are really, really they they can they can both pre-book and they're taking a lot of the slots. And actually, I just heard uh, was it yesterday two days ago. Yeah, I heard an uh, LPG slot went for two point three million dollars. Wow, and, and that's expensive. And then so when you, when you get those levels, then you really need to you know make decisions. And of course, well, Anders, can... Anders, I just say yes, that's really expensive, but it tells you how strong the underlying trade is when it rates for one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars a no. day. Exactly. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And yeah. and of course, the cost of missing your lake can is you know is 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 very expensive. So so uh, so I think this is and of course this is seasonal. This is uh, you know it's not going to stay like this you know throughout the whole year. But I think it's it's it, I think still we are we we have to expect higher inefficiencies going forward than we've seen in the past because we are as I said again we are not we we cannot we cannot pre-book the same way we did and. Uh, and this will this will really have a you know a, an impact in over the longer term. But of course now it's extreme, and and uh, and you know these inefficiencies will that that's what they will they will uh, uh, you know be more subdued, and that's that's what's going to push the rates down again. So so. Uh, uh, but for now, it's uh, it's very tight. So they're tight. very they're seasonally dependent. These inefficiencies, you'd say, and what's what sort of the reasoning behind that? Just so we get a bit. I mean, I think it's both because you know the the time of year with the, with the with the temperatures and with the, you know with the, uh, and of course you have also with trade around Christmas times you have uh, I mean there there's many there's many reasons why why you know the LNG and 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 container ships are are, are active so so uh, I think that's that's uh, important of course for us too it's 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 for us a period also when we're uh, we have. Uh, we have lots of activity. So, so right now it's, uh, we, you know, we, we are really, uh, again, thinking about if it's, if it's right to go around Cape or, or, or do the canal. We're, we're having discussions about that every day. And I think it's uh, hardly going to be any fewer LNG vessels and container vessels to transit those locks uh, anytime soon. So this is something that's just getting worse and worse, I would imagine, or better and better, depending on if you're a ship owner or <laughs> or on the other end of the table. Well, we also have now, of course, we have a we have also now expanded, you know, with our trading side, and of course, so that's uh, for us, uh, you know, it's very different when we when we own the cargo ourselves. So uh, so again, this is uh, this is high on the agenda uh, internal discussions. Yeah, maybe I, I hope we'll get time to, to touch on that as well. Uh, but then the, just the, the, the congestion side is, um, uh, as I've, I've said before as well, I'm a bit more familiar with all the dynamics that go into the VLDC side. But on the smaller vessels, is that uh, something that occurs similarly or, or no, not really? No. Much? We don't see congestion as, as being an issue. And, and around the Panama Canal, we use the old locks, so where you don't see the same uh, um, congestion so uh, so we're not affected by that to the same extent mm. and i think um we we spoke together at uh, another panel earlier this year in the in the us and um, one of the things you you wanted to highlight was the the difference now let's get to the order book and the delivery schedule uh, so the um, the outlook for deliveries in in your sector versus uh, quite a massive order book in in the larger size uh, vessels um how does that look yeah, no, it's for, for, for the handy size, it's, uh, it's uh, low and also smaller, even smaller vessels here, it's low single digits. So there's almost no order book uh, at, at this point in time. And then we're also not looking to put any new building orders into the market. We're looking to for, further the consolidation. Uh, we just uh, bought five uh, relatively new built uh, ships and that we have consolidated into our fleet and will take over during the next 12 months or so. Uh, from from Pacific Gas and um, and we'll continue to look for those types of opportunities because we we don't want to add to uh, capacity in the market where uh, we've suffered from from relatively low utilization for a bit of time that has disappeared now but let's uh, let's let's stick to the uh, to the current situation with uh, with high utilization without destroying that. 
Yeah, and just to quickly just to quickly summarize um, the, the the delivery schedule for for those listening in on, on the VLGC side, it's it's a, a bit of a strange delivery schedule we're looking at because it's very concentrated on one year. So everyone's sort of focused on what's going to come to market in 2023, but the order book beyond 2023 all of a sudden looks very very thin. Uh, so first off, and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong Ted, but um, I believe the the order book to fleet is uh, somewhere in the vicinity of maybe 14 percent or something. For next year coming to delivery um, yeah but that's 2023 um how will that impact your markets well um look no one likes to have new building uh, deliveries for sure there are a couple of mitigants um out there and again we're coming off uh, we're obviously at very attractive levels and you know as as andre said i don't think anybody uh expects us to stay at, the, at these elevated levels but I guess there's probably, there's some mitigants out there that would suggest a more of a soft landing. Um, first and foremost, 60 vessels are surveyed due next year. So vessels take, you know, are out of the market for half a month to a whole month, depending on, you know, who does it and how they're operating and everything else. That's, you know, pretty significant reduction in capacity right there. And obviously we have um, the CEI, CII and EEXI regulations kicking in next year, which is going to, you know, require the older vessels in the fleet to slow down. Um, I think for the younger vessels, it's probably a, a less than 1% speed reduction. I think for the older ones, it's, you know, 6 plus percent. Uh, so there, there are some things that will create some fleet length. And as Anders, you know, rightly pointed out, I don't think any of us sees any changes in um, what's going on at the Panama Canal. So, well, nobody wants to have 46 vessels come into the, into the fleet next year. The, uh, you know, on the, on the other hand, there are some, you know, meaningful mitigants out there that, that suggest that uh, may not be as, as as ugly as it seems. And they, and again, we've seen good volume growth. Uh, there are these inefficiencies. And and again, when the arm is wide, and uh, right now I don't and I don't know that we see, you know, it changes, it, it ebbs and flows over time. But again, this fundamental shift in energy product flows does kind of support um, a higher arb, at least in the medium, well, short to medium term, let's say, in, in our view. So, you know, again, when there's a, there's a nice ARB, then there's a chance to make money. When there's no ARB, uh, as we're fond of saying, you can't get blood from a stone. Um, product still moves, but, you know, um, you know, to, to have a situation when an owner's willing to pay $2.3 million to get his uh, ship through the canal tells you just how much money's on the table. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm not saying that any of you are looking to order, but let's say you were. When would the vessel be delivered, uh, Anush? Do you have insight to that, or are you just saying all away from the yards and not even discussing? <laughs> I, well, I, I'm not very popular with the yards. That I can that I can <laughs> tell you. But they, they still they still give us uh, give us you know, information, and they they haven't given up. So, uh, um, I think you know for now we're talking mid to late 2025. That's uh, that's. Uh, and of course, also at the price levels we're seeing. I mean, you we're you know seeing ninety three to ninety five million dollars, you know, and and uh, you know Ted Ted's been in the business much longer than I have, but I mean I, I think you know uh, banking on forty thousand dollars a day plus, you know, for the lifetime of the ship, I'm not sure I would do at least. So no, no, that and that's and that's the, and that's the math you need to do to make the IRRs pencil. Um, and while yeah. we've seen you know, the long-term average, right, is 30,000 a day. I think the average since 2014, when the U.S. started becoming a major export force, is a little higher than that, but it's still not 40. No, it's and, and just just to mention, you know, the where we're coming from. You said 95 million dollars for a new build, and you're coming from the low 70s, right? So it's been a massive, uh, massive increase in cost, which naturally yeah. drives up the the needed rate. Yeah, but can I just um, also because this is uh, sorry, because this of course is for investors. I mean, this is this is the big question, you know. In, in 23, the you know all the ships can can we absorb those? And and I've said before we. I've been fairly, you know, worried about it previously. I think, you know, uh, it is always a challenge when you get, you know, that big of fleet growth. Uh, at the same time, given the energy markets, given we just think if just the the export growth alone next year will can absorb, you know, almost half of that, half of that, uh, uh, you know, uh, additional demand uh, supply. And again, as Ted says, with uh, with uh, continuing efficiencies, with regulations and uh, dry docks and so forth. Uh, we're, we're getting we're getting closer to a balance, and and uh, and yes, there might be a period, you know, in the second quarter maybe where there's you know uh, uh, somewhat concern, but but I really think uh, 
I really think we're not going to see many new builds uh, beyond what we see now. And so, uh, so uh, we're, we're quite constructive. And then yeah. the zone scrapping also, maybe we should add that too. I mean, if you look at the handy segment oh. where we have 120 ships, uh, there's 20 of those have been built before 2000. So, so there are also quite a, a number, at least in our segment, a lot of old ships that will leave the fleet that will not be uh, good ships for, 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 for our large customers. So, uh, so that will add some uh, relief also. Mm. And what, again, you've been managing to sell though quite old vessels to uh, recently on the at pretty good prices, right? So uh, there's always talk about this scrapping happening and I know we're running a bit over time, but this is incredibly interesting. So let's give it a shot. Uh, and, uh, but um, where do those old vessels end up? I mean, historically they haven't been scrapped and that's despite being having been through some quite poor markets also uh, back in the day. So, so where do they end up and, and how does that actually work out? Well, they end up trading regionally uh, in, in, in different trades where we don't meet them. So it's, it's not really something that becomes, a, those ships are not becoming competitors to, to us. They, they kind of disappear to um, some, some inter-regional trade around Indonesia or Vietnam or uh, somewhere in the, in, in the Middle East. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, always care. we don't we, see them. Yeah, we certainly we certainly care about who we sell to, and as I said, we sold 19 ships the last uh, several years, and uh, and you know, so we're not going to sell to to we don't want to meet those ships, you know, uh, right away, you know, uh, next week. So, uh, so we're quite careful on that. But I think again, and I'm always happy that you mentioned this year again because, of course, uh, I think you know uh, we always like to at least say that we're we're becoming more of a liquid sector, but the ship ship values and underlying values are perhaps more more um, uh, correctly reflected also, you know, in, in action. So, so I think it, it shows that our market is becoming more liquid and, and, and I think we're all happy to see that. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then uh, let's talk a bit about valuation here to, uh, to, to end the call, given the, where the stocks have been trading. You know, the, you're reaching pretty much all-time highs in terms of share prices and, and such and reflective of quite quite elevated values but you're still at a massive discount to where the the quoted values are these days for vessels um why 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 aren't people buying into the story and, and pricing fully pricing up the stock um Anish? well i mean you you you're the analyst you can you you probably had those good discussions <laughs> also i i think and and i i'm still gonna repeat you know that we're not gonna we're not gonna push our own share prices that's not what we're doing but i think we what, what I think we, we, we need to just continuously, I think, tell people both A, LPG is a great product. It really is. And it needs to be transported. And I think, you know, LPG ships in general are, you know, quite, quite adaptable. As I said, there is, uh, there's many things we can do. Um, I think, uh, of course, we like the bigger ships. We think they're simpler. The, the, the routes are, are, you know, more predictable and so forth. But I, I still think that this whole segment we have so many opportunities, whether it's uh, whether it's ammonia, whether it's LPG as fuel, because of the smaller ships can be, you know, ship to ship. There's there's many things we can do. So so I'm uh, I'm uh, I, I think it's 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 uh, just we, we need we need to educate and make sure that people understand that even though we're byproduct, we're still we're still the real deal. You know, if if there's going to be LNG, if there's going to be oil, there's going to be LPG. Mm. And then. That's why we have this uh, webinar, I, I guess. I hope all the investors feel enlightened and want to jump on board the, the journey from here. Uh, just finally, uh, Ted, the, uh, you know, I, I think what the investors like over time is definitely getting their money back and cash uh, paid out, right? Uh, and then, sure. uh, then we get to, to Dorian. They have an irregular but quite regular dividend going on. Uh, what's, uh, what's sort of the value of having a transparent dividend policy and trying to build some confidence for investors that they'll see their money back, do you think, Ted? Well, um, I'm not quite sure how I interpret that. Um, you know, I think from our perspective, We've been quite clear that um, when you know when when the cash is there, we're going to return it. I think if we see market conditions turning, um, we're not going to uh, you know we're going to we're going to build cash um, you know either defensively or to take advantage of opportunities. And you know so far, um, well, I think you've probably been the most vocal of the uh, of the analysts uh, arguing for a a mathematical policy. I'll call it. Um, you know, we, we're not, we don't, we, I guess we don't, we don't feel that that's, uh, something that will ever be fully priced in because if you, if we had a hundred percent time charter, 
we think we get a lot more credit for the dividend than um, we do um, otherwise. But I think on the other hand, we have we have now started to develop a track record among investors that hey, there's cash, they're returning cash, they're going to continue to return cash, um, and and they they do put shareholders at the forefront. And um, you know, so if I think I think probably um, Andrew said it, uh, you know, in, in the context of, of uh, vessel prices, but I think actions speak louder than than, than than written words of like a dividend policy. And so the fact that we've been doing it, you know, I think I think matters. Um, others, and I don't dispute anybody who does have a likes to go with a with a more linear policy. We get it. It just doesn't really. Uh, it's not as comfortable for us in the terms of the way we look at our business. Uh, and so we think this is the best way to go to look out for shareholder short and long-term interests. True. And that's, I guess, being exposed to a spot market that's uh, all over the place through a year. It's uh, it's also quite difficult to and to get that confidence going despite the mathematical formula, maybe, uh, in terms of what that return will be and dividends will be going forward. But yeah, um, at the same time, can I, I think it's, it's important also still for us to understand that, yes, it is volatile at the same time. I think, yeah, I think both Ted and I and also Mas will, will agree you know, we, we think we are much better returns by not just locking in, you know, all in the TC uh, uh, long term. I think we, I think we've now shown over time that we can, you know, generate excess returns by, you know, by by understanding the volatility and and positioning ourselves and and uh, and working hard to 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 uh, even in even in the you know tougher times to 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 still to still be 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 cash positive. So so I think uh, I I think over time I think investors will see that. Uh, uh, we we do manage to to right. to uh, you know handle those cycles quite well. Hmm. All right, I see we're we're now approaching the hour almost, <laughs> and I guess we could chat for hours. But uh, I, I wanted to touch on this finally uh, with with you, Anish. The the trading part of the business that you've now included and sized up or scaled up is probably the right way to put it. Um, what's uh, what's the value of that for for being a, a ship owner in in this sector? I think, as you know, we, we started out dipping our toes and just started very carefully and uh, to see how we work and to support, you know, our, our shipping and, uh, and, and, you know, help our utilization. I think what we've seen is that this has given us, you know, great optionality it, and we get a much better information about product flows. We, 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 we see, you know, we, we can, we can ent enter into different types of contracts that are quite beneficial. So to me, I think it, the key word for me is the optionality it gives us. Gives us. And, and so, uh, so that's something that we are very excited about, and of course now we just we just now finally got you know the green light to 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 include you know the team full time with us, and uh, and so far we 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 see it's it gives us great great additional uh, it's both an additional revenue base, but as I said again also just uh, analysis and information and product flows uh, very important. Hmm. All right, thank you for that, um, Anish. I see Nicholas is back, so we'll need to cut it off here. And I just wanted to, uh, in the end, uh, thank everyone. And I, I, um, I see I have quite a few questions that have come in on the Q and A, but uh, unfortunately, not time to to get through all of them. But um, with that, thank you to to all the panelists and, and all the listeners in, and you also, Nicholas, for organizing. Well, closing remarks from me. Just to say huge thanks to to you, uh, Jorgen. Uh, to Anders, Mads, and uh, Ted, uh, great, uh, great panel. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Bo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.